Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Once again, I want to welcome everybody. And today is the first Sunday in the fall, a new semester, a new season, and a fresh start. So once again, greetings to you from our new home, the Kenmuir Baptist Church. Now today we begin a new series, a passion, Being a Passionate Builder, an ordinary man with an extraordinary passion. Let me repeat that an ordinary man with an extraordinary passion. And by studying the life lessons of a great servant in the Old Testament called Nehemiah, I pray that today's message would help you immensely in your new journey in Kenmio as you plan to serve him. Now the name Nehemiah means Yahweh has comforted. So before even we begin, reading the book of Nehemiah, the name itself reveals that the words will bring comfort. This study motivates the passion for serving in every believer. It guides us on the believer's role in kingdom work, how to overcome troubles and to trust in God. As we look at the life of Nehemiah, his prayer life, his leadership, and his faithfulness. So first let us understand the context. So a bit of a history lesson to you. In 605 to 586 BC, because of their continued unfaithfulness to the covenant that God established, God chastened his people. He allowed the Babylonians to sack Jerusalem, but he also gave them a promise that after 70 years of captivity, they would be allowed to return. The book of Ezra, as you read through in the Old Testament, it records the fulfillment of that promise. The return was actually accomplished with the help of three Persian kings, Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. Cyrus actually overthrew Babylon and encouraged the people, the Jews, to return to their homeland in 538 BC. So about 50,000 returned under the leadership of Zerubbabel at that time. Then the foundation of the temple was established and the temple was completed in 515 BC. We're just going through some history lessons here. Then Ezra the priest he led the second return in 458 B.C. to restore the spiritual renewal of the people. Then came our friend Nehemiah. He led the third return in about 445 B.C. to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. So as you look at this map, it gives you a rough idea of where Susa was and where Jerusalem is. Now, why are we studying this pastor on this inaugural Sunday from our new location? You may ask the questions. 
Let me take a few moments to explain it. I hope it is true of everyone that you want to be used by God. I was deeply touched how my brother, my son, Keith, opened this worship, encouraging all of us to serve the Lord, to be part of the team, to build His kingdom. Now, you cannot serve the Lord until you have become a child of God. To every child of God, every believer, the scripture says, is given a spiritual gift. Why was it given? To use in service for the Lord. Let's look at 1 Peter 4 verse 10. As each one has received a gift. Can you all say received a gift? Minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Church, it is a great blessing when the Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, gives every one of you, including myself, a gift so that he can use you in some capacity to serve the Lord Jesus. Church, let me remind you, every accolade we earn in this world, we leave behind, they perish with us. Every dollar we saved, every house we own, every car we drive, every material possession we have, we leave behind because there's no U-Haul attached to the hearse in which we'll be taken. It's inevitable. What matters most to a believer is what heavenly possession we have saved while being on this earth. It is our investment and involvement in the kingdom of God that matters for eternity. So my dear church family, this is a new beginning. What is our new normal now? So today I want to introduce you to our new normal, that is to every believer. As you can see, God has blessed us immensely by the provision of this facility, beautiful facility, by the provision of godly men and women in our fellowship. Look at each other. God has gifted us by the provision of His grace to sustain us through so how are we planning to serve Him? You may say, Pastor, serving God is the pastor's job. It's your job. Now, don't pass it on to us. You may say, Pastor, it is the job of the elders and the board and the servant team. Let me be a good Christian. I'll definitely give my tithes. I'll come to the church. I may participate in the Thursday prayers. I have my family to look after, my job to take care of, my friends to mingle with, and my life to live. How about my vacations and recreations? Come on, Pastor, I need a life. Let's look at, what, at Peter's exhortation again. Look at this passage again. One more click, Sam. As each one has received a gift. Read the next one with me, please. Minister, read with me. Minister it to one another. It's not an option, church. Every one of us minister it to one another. Apostle Paul affirms it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, if you are in Christ, we are new creation. God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. He has given us a ministry of what? Reconciliation. We are the ambassadors for Christ. It's not the pastors and the elders only. Every one of you, every Tom, Dick, and Harry in this, in this congregation, every believer. 
So what about Nehemiah? Why do we study his story, Pastor? I'm sure this must be going on in your mind. Because Nehemiah was not a priest like Ezra. He did not hold any office in the church. Nor was he known as a prophet. Nehemiah was an ordinary man like you. But he ventured out to do extraordinary things for God. He was just an ordinary man. He was a man who loved God. I'm sure that most of you are like Nehemiah, who are, you are ordinary men and women who love God. So today the Lord is calling you to do extraordinary things for his kingdom through this little church in Mississauga. He's charging you to build the wall around this temple. The foundation of SCF has been laid and the structure has been erected. Now you have to fortify it. You have to protect it. You have to make it secure so that SEF will grow and glow and glorify the one who has called us to the tattoo task. Church, the greatest need is more Nehemiahs to build a wall. All right, pastor, you might say, I hear you well. I get it. Just tell me, what should I do, you may ask. But church, there's much more to serving God than just talking about that. Talk is cheap, they say, isn't it? It is true that God wants to use each one of us, but he wants to develop us into people who are more usable to him. So as we study at the life of Nehemiah next few Sundays, we will learn many qualities and service of service and leadership. So today it's only an introduction a cursory look. If you look at the book of Nehemiah with the 13 chapters, the first seven chapters talks about rebuilding the wall and the last part of it talks about rebuilding the people. So I want you to follow this very carefully because I want you to understand Nehemiah's predecessor, Ezra, he too tried to build the wall. Due to various difficulties and opposition by the surrounding group, Ezra could not complete the wall. Now Nehemiah stepped up into the challenge. Church, I'm reaching out to the next generation of seekers. What I could not do, what we could not do, the Lord is raising up Nehemiahs within SEF to fortify his church. We have laid the foundation, the church with sound doctrines. Now you ought to protect the integrity and build on the solid foundation laid by the predecessors. You may ask, how should SEF look, church? Pa Pastor, let's go to the scripture and let's look at Revelation chapter 7. The church must be a representation of what is yet to come when we all go to New Jerusalem. Hear me read a few lines on this. After these things I looked and behold... A great multitude which no one could number, and read the next one with me, of all nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Remember, this is how 
the church house of God should look like. This is the blueprint of heaven. SCF must be a prototype of what heaven would be. A house comprising of people from all nations, tribes and tongues. This will be our new normal church. I know it's a heavy calling. Some of, some of you may even say, Pastor, it's an impossible mission, you might ask, you might say. Church, so was the wall of the temple by Ezra. But an ordinary man Nehemiah, God used him in an extraordinary way to accomplish what his predecessor Ezra was not able to do. So I have absolute confidence, church, in everyone that I'm looking at here, especially the younger folks. I'm not discarding the older folks, please don't get me wrong. But I'm looking at the next generation. It's what is not possible with us is possible with you. The cry of my heart is that before the Lord takes me home, I'll be able to see in this sanctuary is filled with people of all nations, all tribes, all tongues, and it becomes a prototype of heaven. Amen? Amen. Church, those who walk through the two doors of this building belong to this family. None exempted. No one I repeat, no one should feel isolated, unloved, misfit in this body of Christ. As I always say, church, remember this. This is a hospital for sinners and not a hotel for saints. God has brought us together for a purpose. And we'll work to fulfill that God's purpose in this church. So let us rise up and help each other to fortify this church. Church, know this, Nehemiah was serving as a cupbearer to this very same king who stopped Ezra from building the walls. The environment has not changed. It's the same king, but the individuals changed. Nehemiah accomplished what Ezra could not do with the same king. So how did Nehemiah do that? What can we learn from this man? Let's dive into the narrative now. In this first chapter, we see that three characters that Nehemiah demonstrates, which would be a great lesson for us. Let me tell you the characters first. Firstly, Nehemiah saw the great need which burdened his heart. Secondly, Nehemiah also saw what God wanted to accomplish. Thirdly, Nehemiah committed himself to see it through in spite of many difficulties. So what do we learn then, church? We the Nehemiahs of seekers, for God to use us, we must have a burden for God's people. We must have a vision for God's purpose. We must have a commitment to God's purpose. So let me dive into the message now. Firstly, the person God uses has a burden for his people. Can you say the word burden, please? That's the first thing that we need to have. For God to use, the person must have a burden. Look at verse number four. It says, so it was when I heard these words. Nehemiah hears the words. That I sat down and wept. 
and mourned for day, many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. What on earth did Je Je Nehemiah hear? Let's look at verses 3, verse number 3. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burdened with fire. When God wants to use you in some capacity, the first thing he does is to burden your heart with a situation. Notice, Nehemiah did not act impulsively. The, this particular burden, the issue, resonated within him for four months before he acted on it as we study the word of God. In verses 1 and verses, in ch chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 2, verse 1, he waited on God in prayer for four months before the opportunity arose to talk with the king. This is not in the, bullet, in, in the PowerPoint, but when you look at what, when he heard was in verse number 1, chapter 1, it says, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th century is when he heard this news. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when he acted, it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. The period was four months for him. From the time he heard and the time he acted. I want you to note three things about Nehemiah's burden. Nehemiah's burden stemmed from feeling the people's great need. The other Jews in Jerusalem had probably heard about the conditions of conditions in Jerusalem, shaken their heads and said, oh my, oh my, that's too bad. And they went back to their work in Babylon and, and they would have shared with this, oh boy, what a tragedy that is. They were not burdened by the need of God's people in the land. But the man that God used to do something about it, not only heard about the need, but he felt their need. That's why he wept, he moaned, he fasted and prayed for days about what he heard. You weep only when you are burdened, church, about something, isn't it? You just couldn't put it out of your mind. God used that burden as the basis for action. Maybe you're wondering, the needs are so many and so great, Pastor. I can't possibly respond to them all. How do I discern which particular need God wants me to be, get involved with? Two thoughts on that. First, don't let the immensity of the needs paralyze you so that you don't do anything. It's too overwhelming, this need. We run for cover because there is no way to respond to them all. Out of emotional survival, we throw up a barricade around our hearts and block all of the needs from moving us. Because it is too big, too huge. The immensity of the needs paralyzes us. And finally, we end up doing nothing. We are engrossed in our own pursuit of pleasure and we ignore the needs of others. I want you to see how God, Jesus reacted. Look at the next verse. Matthew chapter 9. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and uh, dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers 
into his harvest. So you know what we should do, church? Our prayer should be, Lord, give me the eyes of Jesus to see the needs of the people. That should be your prayer from today. The needs of this church. Give me the heart of Jesus to feel compassion for the people and for the ministry. God, raise up workers for the harvest to meet these overwhelming needs. The second thing is also important. Don't commit yourself hastily to something just because the need is there. We see that Nehemiah took four months to pray before he acted on it. The needs are simply endless. I came to know this very clearly in my mission trip to Sri Lanka. Every time I go, people will come and tell me, Pastor, I want you to go here, there, there, everywhere. I know it's a, it's a land of much need. For that, every land is a land of much need. But I should know I'm not going to hastily go and commit to something that I cannot handle. Wait on God in prayer and until he burns your heart with a particular need that you can do something about. Ask the Lord. Lord, show me that one particular piece of work which you would have me do. So the first lesson that we learn here, next clip, the person God uses has a burden for his people. So you should pray continually that God would give you a heart to feel the burden of lost people and a willingness to get involved. Now, not only Nehemiah's burden stemmed from feeling the people's great need, his burden was focused on seeing people's great sin. That's what the Bible says. Nehemiah was realistic in assessing the problems. The root problem was not the lack of resources, although the project required resources. The root problem was sin. Look at verse number 6 and 7. This is what is prayer. Confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. Church, the Bible is clear that the, at the root of all our global and personal problems is what? Sin. Why are there wars and terrorist attacks? Sin. Why are there famine and disease? Sin. Why are governments and businesses riddled with greed and corruption? Is sin. Why is the mission task of the church not fulfilled? Is sin. Why do couples argue and have problems? Is sin. Why do kids from Christian homes rebel against God and their parents? Is sin. If God is going to use us, we need to keep clear in our focus that at the root of the problem is human sin. Church, it is not just the sins of others. We are very good at pointing fingers at others that we need to be aware of. We also need to be aware of and confess of our own sins. That is why you would have noticed in the last two Thursday prayer meetings, we are focusing on praying with a repentant heart and asking God to forgive us. You see, in this verse, Nehemiah included himself with the sins of the people. Nehemiah says, yes, God, our people have sinned, but he said, both my father's house and I have sinned. Staying aware of our sins keeps us humble before God and others so that we don't sit in judgment on them. Church, we are sinners. We have been shown mercy. We go to other sinners and offer that same mercy that we received. 
So please do not get distracted from the root of the problem. If we think today that the real need here today is better organization and better facility and more programs and more funds and better methods and newer carpets and newer chairs, we are starting from the wrong place. The root need is for repentance. Everybody say repentance. On the part of God's people who have forgotten His purpose and are living for their own purpose. Nehemiah's burden stemmed from feeling the people's great need. It was focused on seeing the people's and his own great sin. But here's the good news in verse number 5. He begins his prayer addressing God. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep the covenant and mercy with, who, with those who love you and observe your commandments. So he's acknowledging who our God is, and then if we look at verses 8 and 9, Nehemiah reminds himself and he claiming the promises of God. Look at verses 8 and 9. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses. Nehemiah is nailing God there. God, you said it. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you, you, you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. God would gather his people from the most remote parts where he has scattered them for their disobedience. And then church, he prays in verse number 10, beautiful verse. He says, now these are your servants, verse number 10. And your people. He's turning back and telling God, God, let me remind you, this is not my people, this is your people. Wow. You, I learned valuable lesson. Now I know my prayers. God, these are not my people, these are your people. It, the, now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your power and by your strong hand. Five times in that verse he repeats, you and you are as if to say, they are my people, God, they are your people. Basically what Nehemiah is saying is, this battle is not mine, God, it is yours. That's what Nehemiah is saying here. So what we are learning here in the first point, next slide, the person who uses has a burden for his people and we need to do two things. Number one is we need to pray continually that God would give us a heart to feel the burden of the lost people and willingness to get involved. And number two, we must commit that burden back to him. By first, we must seek forgiveness. And secondly, we must remember, God, the battle is yours, not mine. Let's keep going. Now you might say, Pastor, I honestly don't have a burden for these people. For these lost people, why, what should I do, you may ask. You know, church, let me be blunt with you. It could mean that you are not born again. I know you don't like to hear that. Because you are not concerned about the things that God is concerned about. If that is your condition, you need to repent of your sins and trust in Christ to save you. But you might say, but pastor, I am a born-again believer. You may say, I still don't feel the burden for the lost people or God's people. You know what it means, church? It probably means that you have become so caught up with seeking the things that the world seeks that you are not seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness. 
You need to go before God and get your priorities in line with His priorities. Church, God did not save you so that you can merely pursue the American dream. Remember this. God saves you so that you can, He can use you to further His purpose. So that leads me to the second quality of the person God uses. Let's go and look at verse number 9 there. But if you return to me and he said, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. The person God uses as a vision for his purpose. You know, if Nehemiah had lacked the vision of God's purpose, when he heard about the conditions of Jerusalem, he could have easily said, why be bothered about Jerusalem? I mean, I am well settled in Susa. I am a cup bearer. I live in Babylon and I've lived here for so long and what's the big deal about Jerusalem anywhere? They are farther away from me. Why not settle, just settle here and worship God? But Nehemiah knew something about what God, had, God wanted to do with his people because God says, I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. And Babylon is not that place. God's purpose involved his name or his glory being made known in Jerusalem. So what's the application for us? God's purpose in this age involves the church. Everybody say the word church. Jesus said what? I will build my church. In Revelation 5, we see that Jesus purchased for God with his blood men from every tribe, every tongue and, and people and nation. That is what church is like. And, but why does he want to save people from around the globe? And some of you might answer and say, because he loves us. Because he wants us to be happy. Church, the answer is wrong. That is a man-centered goal. God's purpose is not man-centered. It is God-centered. In fact, God does love people. He wants us to be happy. But that is not the final end in itself. Saving people is a means towards God's purpose, but it is not the end of God's purpose. Paul makes it very clear in the book of Ephesians, as you study the first three chapters, God's purpose involves building his church for the sake of his name and his glory. That is God's purpose. God wants to display the riches of his glorious grace and his manifold wisdom through the church to all the angelic hosts. So God's chief purpose is to further his own glory through the joy of salvation that people experience in him. And this is achieved through the church. That is God's vision. So when we have the same vision for his purpose, our priority changes. We will be involved actively in the growth of the church. For through this, he gets all the glory. He displays the riches and his, of, of his glorious grace and his manifold wisdom through the church to all the angelic hosts. So we looked at two points here. Next slide, please. Firstly, we said the God... The person God uses as a burden for his people. Secondly, we looked at the person God uses as a vision for his purpose. Be actively involved in the growth of the local church. As we move on to the next point. 
finally, the person, no, not to the slide, son. Go back. Too soon, okay. It's not, when I say finally, that doesn't mean the sermon is over, okay. Finally, the person God uses has a commitment to his purpose. Church, listen very carefully. Nehemiah didn't hear about the sad situations or conditions in Jerusalem and say, that's too bad. I hope that somebody does something about it. I still remember when I was working in the secular world way back in Singapore, I had, a, I, I had someone who was doing a conference and, and, and he made this statement I memorized for the rest of my life. He said, nothing ever happens unless someone does something and that someone is you. Good saying, isn't it? It's not a biblical saying, but it's a good saying. Nothing ever happens unless someone does something and that someone is you. I love it. Nehemiah realized that someone was himself. So he was willing to commit himself to the task and to stick with it in spite of numerous difficulties. I want you to know two things about Nehemiah's commitment. Firstly, he was willing to count the world as loss for the sake of God's purpose. Nehemiah notes that he was the cupbearer to the king. Look at verse number 11. It's not appearing on the screen, but you can look at it on your Bible. He says that I am the cupbearer. I'm paraphrasing it. Nehemiah, the cupbearer was a high position in the court. His responsibility was to choose and taste wine before it was served to the king to make sure that it was not poisoned. He could have been a handsome man like me. Oh no, sorry, like Keith. Keith was not very happy when I made that statement. He could have been a handsome man like Keith and well-trained in his court etiquette. He would, have be, he would have to be a friendly companion, willing to lend an ear and even to give advice to the king. Since he enjoyed closest access to the king, he was a highly trusted man in his profession and position. So Nehemiah lived in the palace in Susa with the king. Nehemiah would have eaten the best food and worn the best clothes and lived in a very comfortable quarters. It was a flashy and cushy job. We do not know why he had not returned with the remnant with Ezra 13 years before that. Perhaps like Daniel and his friends, he had been recruited into the king's service as a young man and was not free to go. But now, Nehemiah hears about the distress of God's people and the dishonor to God's name. Nehemiah could not be happy in his great job and his luxurious surroundings. So he was willing to give it all up. Make the difficult journey to Jerusalem and to set about the stressful job of mobilizing these people to build, rebuild the walls so that God's name would be honored among the people. Was it a costly sacrifice? Yes and no. Yes, because Nehemiah had to give up all the comforts that he enjoyed and endure a lot of hardship. But no, in that he could no longer be happy doing what he had been doing because the burden is so big in him. He found great joy in doing what God wanted him to do. Like Paul, Nehemiah counted it all rubbish so that he might gain 
Christ. Church, I must make a confession. Though I enjoyed my dollars and perks in my secular job in my former life, the unspeakable joy in this position as a servant of God pales all those memories into insignificance. My joy is unspeakable. My satisfaction is immeasurable. And I'm speaking from my heart. Nehemiah found great joy in doing what God wanted him to do. Not only, firstly, he was willing to count the world as lost for the sake of God's people, purpose. He was willing to overcome the obstacles for the sake of God's purpose. The rest of the book, which we'll be going through over a period of time, gives an account of how he overcame one obstacle after another. There was obvious secret opposition from enemies. There were problems within the ranks, and that could have stopped the work of building this wall. But as you read through, and we were going to study this, Nehemiah persisted in his commitment, and the wall was completed in 52 days. Church, if you try to do something, some service for the Lord, I want to tell you, you will face obstacles and opposition. Some of it will be from the world, but the most difficult opposition, church, often comes from within. What? The church. The most Difficult opposition often comes from within the church. You have to realize up front that you will encounter problems and you must commit yourself to God and His purpose to endure. So as I bring this message to a close, next point please. Next slide. The third point here we see, we saw, looked at three things. The purpose, the person who God uses has a burden for His people. The person God uses has a vision for his purpose. The person God uses has a commitment to his purpose. You must be willing to count the world as loss. Be willing to overcome obstacles for the sake of God's purpose. So I want to challenge you as I close this message in prayer, especially those who are young and restless in this congregation because it's, you are the next generation. Don't throw away your life to achieve the American dream of financial security, early retirement, a motor home. You can buy and give it to the pastor so that you can spend final years driving around to capture all of the national parks on videotapes, which you don't watch even later on. Lots of tapes, lots of photographs. Don't know where they are. They are all in the USBs and, and hard copies. I don't know where they are even. Lots of people have taken many photos of me. I don't see a single one. I feel an honored because I'm thinking that they are posting it in their kitchen cupboards everywhere and watch, looking at me every day. Spend your life for the only one purpose that lasts. To see the nations glorify God for His great mercy in Christ. Ask God to give you a burden for his people, a vision for his purpose, and a commitment 
to his purpose. Last slide, and with that I close. Ask God to give you a burden. Shall we rise, the worship team, come up, and I'm going to pray for you. Ask God to give you a burden for his people, a vision for his purpose, and a commitment to his purpose. The story just begins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and thank you for this church. Thank you for the people. Thank you for what you have started in us. We claim your promise that the good work that you have started in each one of us in this new location, you will see to its completion until the day of Christ. So we commit us and, in the, and every single program into your care and keeping. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.